If you want to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, and while you're doing that, I've probably come to this realization that you are going to spend most of your adult life working, right? I mean, if you're not working, you are thinking about work, you're recovering from work, you're fretting about it, you're preparing for it, you're worried about it, you're trying to find it, or you're looking to lose it. But we spend a good chunk of our adult life working. And make no mistake about it, the Bible's really clear, work is good. In fact, you could look at the book of Proverbs, and you can find that that is actually one of the themes of the book of Proverbs. It talks about the virtues of hard work, and it condemns laziness. And it's got all sorts of Proverbs that if you ever wondered if it's, is it okay for me to be working hard, you're going to find out that God values and extols the virtue of hard work. This is actually something you can find continue on in the New Testament. You're probably familiar with this verse. I received this uh, verse when I was in college. A gal gave this to me. I don't know if she just noticed I wasn't ever studying very hard or something like that. But she wrote Colossians 3.23 and it says, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. And if you were kind of questioning, well, okay, how serious does God take work? If you ever read the book of Second Thessalonians, at the very end there, he makes this really powerful statement. It just says this, for even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, does anyone know what it says? Neither shall he eat. You're not willing to work? Neither shall you eat. And if you're thinking, well, boy, that's some pretty strong medicine there. But I bet Jesus was when he was here on the earth. Um, Yes, he did some work, but he never came to a point where he got tired or exhausted. Well, that would not be the case. Remember uh, when they made their way into Samaria? It's about 6 o'clock, and Jesus said, you know what, I'm going to camp here. You guys go on ahead and get some bread. And he was, it says in John chapter 4, wearied from his travels. Or remember the time when they were crossing the, the Lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee? They were going across there. After a whole day of ministry, Jesus was so thoroughly exhausted that he passed out right there on the cushion, right there in the boat. And it wasn't like they were just kind of having a simple little pleasant little boat ride across the lake. Do you remember what happened? There was a storm that came up, so much that water was starting to come in the boat, and Jesus was still sleeping. These guys came to the conclusion, some of them are fishermen, we're going to perish in the storm. And they go, Jesus, wake up! Don't you care that we are perishing? And yet Jesus had been working so hard, fulfilling the work that God had given him, his father, that he came to a point where he was wearied and exhausted. And you need to know that life isn't always easy. We are going to work hard. There are going to be times in our life we're going to come to points where we're, we're just literally physically, spiritually, emotionally exhausted. But God doesn't want to leave us there. Labor is good. But God wants us to know how he restores our soul in the midst of all of our work, and that is rest. And that's what we have been talking about these last few weeks. You know, we're really big. We talk about the the Christian work ethic, and we, we want to apply ourselves. There are many of you that are very hard workers. But one of the things that seems to be rather absent is a biblical view of what rest is. How does God restore the souls of his people? It's really interesting. Uh, We have some experts in Chinese, in Fellowship Bible Church. They speak it. Uh, The Chinese have a very unique character for the word busy. And their little pictograph, it's, it's made up of these two characters. And one is 
One is heart, and the other is death. That's their word for busy. When you see that, it is heart, death. You see, complete, always being busy, continually going, 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 it affects us at a heart level, and it, start, it has a lethal effect. It starts to bring about death. And friends, and, and I, I, like I told you last week, I feel like I'm, I'm one of the worst. I'm perhaps one of the most culpable in our church. Working, working, working. Hard. Putting forth good effort. But friends, if we do not learn how to rest in God, then the Chinese probably have it right. It's going to lead to heart death. And what God wants us to experience is rest. And so that is what we're doing. We are looking about what God says about rest. You can remember this. God restores our souls as we learn to rest in him. Now, let's just briefly cover what we talked about last week. Where does the whole concept of rest begin? It actually begins in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, you find out that rest is established in creation. Remember, God was working six days. He brings about all of creation. He brings about man. He develops him. And then on the seventh day, God completed his work. And what did he do? He rested. Now, we know that God's all-powerful. He's almighty. He can do all things. Was God resting because he was just exhausted? Like, whew, this wiped out my divine abilities? Not at all. God was resting on the seventh day to establish a pattern for his creation. That that which has life also needs rest. And then he actually made it a command. Rest is actually, uh, was expected among God's people in the Old Covenant. And you recall the Ten Commandments? The Fourth Commandment, found both in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5, had this command that you are to rest. You are to six days for work. The seventh day is for rest. And so we find out that in the book of Exodus, when he gives the Ten Commandments, Sabbath rest, which comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to cease activity, that was actually rooted in the creation of the world. And in Deuteronomy 5, when God says, when he's going over the Ten Commandments, he says when he gets to the fourth commandment about rest, you are to rest on the seventh day because you've been emancipated from slavery. I rescued you from the Egyptians who are terrorizing you and it puts you into slavery. I have freed you. And because I am God and you are free, you are to rest and enjoy me and to have a day where your bodies and your souls and your spirits can recover. And see, that's what Sabbath rest was. It was a gift from God that our, we might recover physically and renew ourselves spiritually, resting in the goodness and the character of God. Now, that's what was given in the Old Testament. But, and I think it started off with good intention, but the Jews started developing rules. They really understood that we were to follow what God had to say. And he said to rest on the seventh day. Now, what is very interesting, there's actually very little description in the Old Testament about what this day of Sabbath rest was to look like. In fact, really the only account is kind of like that case where you find in Numbers 15 about that guy, which we called Herb, gathering sticks. That was really the big example that we have of what it, you were not to be working. But there weren't any regulations or rules what you're to do. It was a day set aside for rest and for the worship of God. But over time, they developed rules. And the Jews developed a book called the Talmud. It's kind of their book of regulations. And, one, and they, had, they had thousands of rules and regulations of how to follow the law, especially when it came to the subject of the Sabbath, the seventh 
the seventh day, the day of rest. In the Talmud, this book of Jewish rules, they had, get this, you ready? 24 chapters on rules and regulations for how to follow the Sabbath. 24 chapters. And I mean, they were extensive. They talked about how far you could walk away from your house. 3,000 feet. But then they came up with all these exceptions, like you could put a rope over there and that could be considered part of your house. You could go that far. Uh, they talked about uh, like how much you could carry. This was amazing. You could carry no more than the weight of a fig. Okay? And then they had this rule, though, but if you're carrying something that was the weight of a half a fig, you could carry it twice. I mean, they just had all sorts of rules, or like an eating. You could eat nothing bigger than an olive, you know, and they just had all these rules and regulations. And what they did is they sought to impose this on the people. And the people found them impossible to follow. And the Pharisees especially, they was like, well, they're masters of this. They were the ones who were trying to keep the law. They kept piling all these rules and these regulations. They themselves had trouble figuring out to how to keep them all. I mean, can you imagine devotional material? I think I'll read the 24 chapters on Sabbath rest. I mean, it would be, it made the day of rest a huge burden. They probably couldn't wait to get back to work because they could not rest with all these restrictions. And this continued on in Judaism all until the time where Jesus shows up on the scene. Now, when Jesus comes upon the scene, he actually follows Sabbath rest as God intended. And that put him in direct confrontation with the Jewish leaders, especially the Pharisees. And Jesus is not only making statements that he's God, he's authenticating to the world that he's God through the miracles that he does. And he takes this issue head on. You see, the Jews felt like if you're going to have rest, you have to follow all these regulations. Jesus says, you really want rest? Rest is found in me. Look at it. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you weary because of your load of sin, the guilt, the weight, like a fever heat of summer? Are you, are you heavy laden because of your sin? Come to me. I will give you rest. Are you just weighted down by the pressures and the worries of this world where you're fragmenting and breaking up inside? You have physical implications of the fact that you have no rest in your life, no true peace. Jesus gives this offer. Then and now, come to me. I will give you rest. Look what he says, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle And I am humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, Jesus embodied rest. He says rest is not about following 24 chapters of regulations. Rest is comes from relationship with me. And Jesus makes these statements. He says, my burden is light. And he, as he, he is identifying himself as the one where rest is found, now we're going to come direct confrontation with the Pharisees who have other thoughts on how you keep the Sabbath. Chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry, and they began to pick the heads of grain and eat. Verse 2. Oh, no, shouldn't have done that. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look! 
your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. Now, I don't know how they got there because they only could get 3,000 feet away from their house. I don't know if they kind of like stood on each other's shoulders, like you get 3,000 or what. But they make their way and they are just waiting and looking. Jesus makes the statement, rest is found in knowing me. And they're like, "Uh uh-uh, rest is found in following all rules. That's what they're thinking. And then... They see Jesus' disciples, his followers, those who are learning from him. They're, they're taking this grain, which is completely, in fact, the law actually talked about. You can do just such a thing. They're doing that like, oh, oh, oh that's work, man. You're moving your hands. You've got grain. You're eating. Hey, that, you know, they are calling, they're saying, foul. You're breaking the Sabbath. You can't be from God and you're leading people astray. And Jesus says, friends, you have, you have taken the law and you have you have to- so twisted it that you're actually in violation of it. You see, Sabbath was not made for, for you just to follow rules. Sabbath is a gift from God so that you can experience mercy and find compassion to meet needs that are present, to actually find worship and service to God. And so he actually uses the very law to challenge them on their thinking. He said, verse 3, but he said to them, Have you not read that David, what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions? How he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. You see, David, there was a need. This is he's recounting here and they would know this about when Saul was persecuting David and he was chasing him down because he was going to kill him. And David shows up and he and his companions were given the bread that had been in bed before the tabernacle taken out. And even though the priests were generally to eat that on the Sabbath, it was given to David and his men. Was he innocent? Absolutely. Yet, they would have rules that say, you can't do that. Then he gives them another example, or verse 5. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? And the priests would be out serving God. They would be conducting sacrifices. And he says, listen, you see, Sabbath was made for the worship of me, for showing compassion for giving, doing deeds of mercy. And when you are just become a legalistic, when you have a rules-based religion, you know what it does? It affects your heart and you lose compassion. And Jesus is giving them these examples and he says, listen here, verse 6, you need to know who I am. But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. And that's what they're doing. You are condemning these guys like they're doing something wrong, when in fact they are not. And then he makes this statement, and I want you to see it. Verse 8. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. When he said something that the greater than the temple was here, that was a claim to deity. And when he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, I am what the Sabbath points to, and I am the fulfillment of it, he is claiming to be God. And you see, God can offer us rest in Christ because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Well, this completely infuriated these people. In verse 9, they actually set up this test from there, test for him. Verse 9, departing from there, he went into their synagogue. And a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking, is it lawful for, to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? All animal activists take note. 
So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And you know what he did? Verse 13, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. See, the purpose of the Sabbath was for healing, for well-being, for restoring. It was to do good, to do service to God. That's, Sabbath was made for man that he might be rested, refreshed, rejuvenated. And they simply would not have it because they thought Sabbath was all about regulations. Rest was all regulated. By the way, verse 14, if, if you are tracing through the Gospels, this is the first time where we actually find they have determined they're going to kill Jesus. Verse 14, because of why? This issue. He didn't follow the Sabbath as they thought it should be followed. Jesus said, in fact, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And so, friends, Jesus not only embodied rest, but this is what I want you to know. Jesus extends rest to all who have faith in him. He says, come to me. Do you want rest for your souls? Come to me. Some of you, I know, your life is broken. You are doing good just to even make it here today. You are torn up inside. Your life is is fragmented. Your family is breaking up. Your body perhaps even has signs of this physical distress. There are others here who have never put their faith in Jesus Christ. You are weighed down by your sin. Jesus' invitation as the Lord of the Sabbath is this. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you know, it is all part of God's plan to break people down. Because you know why? God is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. When I became a Christian in college... I can tell you that for about a year and a half, there was a series of just being broken down, broken down, broken down, until I came to the point where I could respond to Jesus' invitation, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. If that is you, Jesus' invitation is to come. And so what about the subject of rest? Jesus seemed to practice rest rather differently than the the Pharisees and the scribes. Jesus basically practiced rest, and he taught his men to rest, that you engage in labor, you take time to rest. A key example of that is in Mark chapter 6, in verse 30. In Mark chapter 6, Mark 6 is really a pivotal chapter. This time, Jesus isn't doing all the work. He actually sends his disciples, he sends the twelve out, and he says, listen, I want you to go, I want you to preach the gospel, call people to repentance, do works of miracles, and they send them out to do these works, and to do these, and to preach this message. And they come back, and they tell Jesus all that had happened. And while they are actually out doing the work of the ministry, seeing the power of Christ working in their lives, one of the key men of the New Testament, John the Baptist, is beheaded. John the Baptist, by the way, is one of the primary disciplers of some of Jesus' key men. And he's killed. And when they come back and they tell Jesus all that they had done, and they learn of the news that John the Baptist had been beheaded, they are not only spiritually spent, they are emotionally fried, and they are physically worn out. Jesus says this, Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Come away by yourselves to, to, to a secluded place and rest a while. Just come away. Come away and rest. You see, life with Jesus includes life with rest. 
You know, and I mean, couldn't you see it? Like, what do you mean, Jesus? What are you talking about? Going away and resting. I mean, there's people that are, are just totally in need. People are fainting. The multitudes are like sheep without a shepherd. You've got Pharisees and scribes who are like ravenous wolves tearing people apart. There is so much work to be done. What are you talking about rest? And Jesus understands this, that you and I need to experience the rest of God, the recovery for our souls, our minds, our emotions, and our bodies that we might go through life with his peace and be his people in times of need. And so Jesus understands this. The problem is is that many of us, his followers, we've missed it. We don't think that we need rest. Let me just tell you that the law governed rest. uh, The law was kind of governed rest in the old covenant. But in the new covenant, in those who are united with Christ, it is not law governed, but it's actually It's governed by grace. The old covenant established that there is to be a day, a Sabbath rest. But in the new covenant, there is no such day established. There is no set time. There are no set parameters. There's no set day. It is really, it is what we could call grace governed. The Old Testament offers Sabbath rest in Christ. He offers sanctifying rest. We could call it as such. It is not a particular day. In fact, for the people that want to set a day, they're missing a key text on this. First of all, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul says this, Therefore, and he's talking to new believers, there is no one, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Don't get hooked up on a day. And there's a lot of Christians that do like, well, Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. OK, and, and that's that's fine if you would like that to be that way for you. But just know that the New Testament does not give any such development on that. In fact, the statement is that no one act as your judge. And also, just in case you're really wrestling with this, if if God intended that the Christians were to have like a particular day that is a Sabbath day, then in Acts 15, when the apostles wrote a letter to all the new believing believers among the Gentiles, that would have absolutely been included. But if you look at Acts 15, is that is that included in their letter? No, it is not. See, what Christ wants us to experience is the rest that comes from looking to him to renew our lives. And your life reflects it. So does mine. A fisherman repairs his nets. If you are into bows and arrows and you've got your bow, if it is always strong, you know what? It's going to lose its elasticity and it's not going to work correctly. Our cars, our animals, our computers need rest. But you know what? We forget that their owners do as well. You know what? It's wisdom to take an occasional rest. Because you know why? Because we will find that we will do more by sometimes doing less. So what keeps us? What keeps us from actually just taking times of rest? Just resting in God. I'll just throw out a few things. Let me give you one. Pride. The whole idea that we're self-sufficient and we're self-promoting. And it easily rises up within us. The whole idea that rest is for the weak, you know. I'm tough. I'm a man of steel. And I'll just keep going and going. I'm like a machine. And even though our machines break down, we think that we will not. Friends, you know what? That, that's, that's pride talking. Let me give you another one. Keeps us from experiencing and making sanctifying rest a priority. Uh, despair. You just... 
you just feel like God just could not help me. Not even God is good enough or, or big enough or smart enough to help me in this problem or this situation that I've encountered. And you just start despairing. You just kind of start spinning in a downward spiral. Let me give you another. This is big. Okay, you ready? Another major reason why you and I do not make sanctifying rest a priority is entertainment. Entertainment is this. It's, it's amusement. It's a diversion from the rest of life. And let me t- tell you that entertainment is, can be fun. Uh, it can make great memories. You can have lots of uh, good experiences with the entertainment. But the problem is, is that we're trying to get something out of entertainment that entertainment can never offer. Entertainment should never be confused with rest that comes from God or sanctifying rest. Entertainment just kind of may give your body and even your emotions a rest. Sanctifying rest is where we are God dependent for God to restore us and to renew us. And so, you know, we have all sorts of entertainment options. And frankly, I mean, you could spend your whole life being entertained. And, and some entertainment is, is good. It's beneficial. And we, we all engage in it. There's nothing wrong with it. But frankly, there's some entertainment that at best it's a waste of time. And at worst, it's a war that is being waged on your soul. There's plenty in our American society and in our world that gets passed on with entertainment that is nothing more than just a continual solicitation of temptations thrown out to get you off track and to get your mind racing and going in places it never should be. In fact, we are to abstain from fleshly lust that wage war against the soul. And yet it's just, well, this is just all entertainment. This movie is just entertaining. Uh-uh. Some of this stuff is bad news. This is sending you in the wrong direction. You know what you need to do? It's kind of like in Psalm 101, verse 3. It says, you have to basically say, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. Entertainment, it's beneficial, but it's kind of like this. It's like cotton candy. You know about cotton candy? You can find cotton candy in all sorts of places. And it comes in all sorts of colors and flavors. But you know what? If your diet was just cotton candy, you're going to waste away. And your teeth are going to rot. And your dentist won't like you. Because cotton candy cannot nourish you. It, it's, it's nice and it's tasty. But friends, do not make a diet of things that simply cannot fulfill. Rather, taste and see that the Lord is good. And how blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Nothing wrong with entertainment. Just don't confuse it with time set aside where we are focused on God to renew us in our life. Let me give you just another uh, thing that keeps us from sanctifying rest, and that is busyness. It's the whole incessant patterns of thinking that I just do not have a time, and I am so busy. Friends, we have to take and put some parameters on our life and say enough is enough. I need time to rest. And if we don't, we generally will face the consequences. God restores our souls as we learn to rest in him. So how do we do this? You know, it'd almost be nice if there was just like some simple regulations given in the New Testament. This is what you do. But you know what? It's not there. It's all about a relationship with God. So how do you and I practice sanctifying rest in our life? Well, I, I want to just throw out a few just general features that is grace oriented, not law driven. First of all, it has to begin with recognizing the lordship of Christ. There is no rest of God without resting in Christ. That begins by recognizing he's the Lord of salvation. 
He has fully paid the penalty of your sin. You cannot work it off. You can never be good enough. You just are trusting him. But it also realizes that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He alone can give rest to my soul, recovery, renewal. And so, you know, I have found this to be helpful, just to verbally acknowledge the Lordship of Christ. In fact, I find that if I can do this in the morning, as I'm kind of just getting together, to just yield my life to the Lord and recognizing his Lordship, that there is a restful quality that can start coming over my life. Because I realize it's not all up to me. It's really, I'm trusting him. Let me give you another feature of kind of this grace-oriented, sanctifying rest. Friends, we have to refrain from working. There has to be some times where we just have holy inactivity. We just stop. We rest. Now, let me tell you, this is hard. Now, I don't know if you guys share this, but there have been times I'm like, okay, I'm going to just rest. And I don't even know what to do with myself. This is weird. You know what I'm saying? Where's my list? I need to be moving. I need to get going. And I just think that way. You just need to take some time to stop and rest. It doesn't have to be a day. It could be, it, you might, it, for you, it might be some minutes or a couple hours or a half a day. Or if you've got a day, just say this, Lord, in this next period of time, I am coming to you as Lord to renew me, restore me, refresh me, to once again set my sights that you're God and I'm not. And now, if you're, different seasons of life are different. If you perhaps like have lots of small children, you're like, a day of rest sounds wonderful. It sounds like heaven to me. And that may not be a reality. You know, I mean, there's diapers to change and meals to make and kids crying and crawling and staying out of stuff. You know, for you, it might be smaller segments. But you can't put any rules or regulations, but you have to realize this, that it is important that you take time to rest. And I'll tell you, this has made some pretty good discussions at our home. Karina and I have had some really good times of talking about what would rest look like in our life, in our family's life. How do we do it in the midst of busyness? But so you want to talk to your spouse and talk about what does this look like, but you've got to cease from activity. Another just general feature that we can find of rest is that it is a time to rejoice in the Lord. Whether that be privately or that be like corporately as we come together in a church. And when we do so, like when you come here on a Sunday morning, I know it's kind of frantic, you know, like, are the kids all dressed, you know, and does Bible man has a cape on and all that sort of stuff, you know. You're, you're getting them all ready. And like, their shoes, where's their shoes? They only got one. I guess we're going with one today, you know what I mean? And the car's not working right. And, you know, and you're, but you, when you walk through these doors, I want you to set these things aside so that you can rest and rejoice in God who is in control, who loves you, who desires to renewal in your life. And when we do so, we remember what he's done. That's why we sing about the cross. Penalty for sin is completed. I mean, these burdens in our life. Christ says, come to me and my burdens are light. I'll give you rest. You know, another aspect that's been very interesting as I've been studying this book of uh, this subject of rest is that this rest time was really also a time for renewing of relationships. Like it, like in the Old Testament, when they took a Sabbath rest, everybody did. No one was working. The kids weren't working. Slaves weren't working. No one was working. And what it did is it put people together. It put families together. And even in the New Testament, there's a really interesting example. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse five. Paul was talking about when we were in Mas- came to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. Ever been there? I mean, just everywhere you look, man, you're just stressed out. And then he makes this statement, but God, who comforts the depressed, 
comforted us with the coming of Titus. God, who brings comfort to the depressed, he did so through a relationship. And in our Sabbath rest, enjoying one another, building relationships, being around life-giving people, being such a person yourself, that's all part of this resting in God. And then let me give you just a final one, just what general feature of rest, what rest could look like. That is finding things where you can recover your strength, like letting your soul catch up with your body, like just taking time maybe just to sit, to take a nap, finding things that are refreshing and renewing to your soul. For some, it could be crocheting or reading a book or others. Uh, you're going to find that you can just listen to music or play music, but you want to find some life-giving activities whether that be uh, hanging out with family or friends, perhaps you are going to exercise, you could ride your bike, you could be fishing, you could go running. But when you do these things, work on focusing on a God orientation. Rejoice in God in the midst of doing these things. I think some of my best times of praise come when I'm just out there running on the farm road out there in the middle of nowhere. Just use these as times to recover fresh strength. You see, God wants us to experience his rest. And it all comes back where we make a priority of just being with God. And let me tell you what this will look like. It'll look like taking some actual time off. And what happens when you and I learn to rest in God, trusting in his sovereignty, resting in his goodness? This, this, this actually becomes an attitude for how we go through life. We become identified as a restful, peaceful people because we are experiencing the rest of God. And that comes by just taking some time for holy inactivity. So what we need to do is we come to this whole subject of rest, not in a law-given way, but in a, a life-giving way. We, we have to start with something. If this is like a totally new concept for you, start with just even a couple of weeks. I mean, a couple of weeks, a couple of, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Start with just a couple of hours. And, and let me just tell you this. As soon as you, as soon as you actually start to put rest in your schedule, get ready for the mind games. They're going to come. There's going to be kind of like those, those, those masters that had been, supposedly were drowned in the Red Sea. They're going to come back up and go, like, what in the world are you doing? Resting, taking time off. Who do you think you are? You've got a thousand and one things to do. That's going to happen. You have to have the conviction that rest is just as important as work. That's why we spent last week trying to develop the conviction that rest is vital to our life. I've heard it before, and I'm going to pass it on to you, and you've heard it before too. Life is not a marathon. It, 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 life is a marathon. It is not a sprint. And friends, you know what? Our life is going to be categorized not only to, in this life, but in the life to come as rest. It'll be experienced eternally by all who are trusting God in this life. You know, in Revelation, I pointed this out to you last week. When it talks about the unbelievers, it talks about in Revelation 14:11 that they have no rest day or night. No rest day or night. But for those whose faith is in Christ, those who are blessed when they die in the Lord, they have a rest from their labors, verse 13, Revelation chapter 14. You know what's going to happen? I feel like we're at a crossroads. If you and I continue to just basically cultivate an appetite where we never have rest in our life, 
we will live that way, and I think we'll live but a shell of who we can be. If you develop an appetite where rest is never part of your, of your normal course of life, you're going to function as someone who generally has little peace as you go through your circumstances of life. On the other hand, God gives the invitation through Christ, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When I was back in Oregon, I heard the story of, a, of these loggers, and particularly this one logger who is just this young buck, braggadocious, tough guy. If you ever know anything about loggers, I mean, you just, you just never mess with them. They are tough, men of steel, not a lot of social skills, if you know what I mean. And these, I heard the story about these loggers and this young buck, and he was basically going to take on anyone, show that he was the top dog in the logging camp. And he finally figured out who was considered to be the top guy with the axe, an older gentleman who apparently was extremely efficient. So he's like, you know, I'm taking you on, and I'm going to beat you. I'm going to show that I can take down more trees than you can. I'm going to be the top dog around here, and I'm going to take you on. And so finally the day came. The the older gentleman was a little reluctant, but, you know, this young guy was insistent. And so they had the day, the day to see who could take down the most trees. And got started. And that young guy, man, he's going to town. I mean, he's burly, he's tough, and he's got that axe, and he is taking trees down quickly. And the old guy was moving too, man. He's taking trees down, but not quite at the same rate. And then, this is crazy, but to make matters worse, the, the old guy would like sit down sometimes, kind of fooling around with his axe about every hour or so. He'd kind of just kind of sit down there, and the young guy's like, seeing like, man, I'm just going to put you away. And he's just chopping trees down. And Well, this kind of continues the day. About, about lunchtime, uh, they were about neck and neck, which was kind of puzzling. And why, why, how could that possibly be? Because this young guy was exerting so much energy, man, and he looked like it. Well, by the end of the day, the older gentleman had knocked down far more trees than the younger guy. This guy is just wiped out. He's like, how did you do that? How did you do that? And the older gentleman said, you know, while you were so busy turning your axe into a hammer... I was sitting down and resting, sharpening my blade and getting ready for the next round. Friend, we need to do the same. We're not just to be pounding through this life and becoming dull. We're to experience the rest of God. We are to learn that in the midst of our labors, God wants us to learn to rest in him so that we will experience the rest of God. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for giving us as a church time to look at a critical subject that is often ignored. In fact, perhaps we've never even considered. And that is, what does it mean to rest in you? And Lord, we just right now, we want to stop. If we've lived life without rest, we are self-sufficient rather than God-dependent. We confess that now is sin. It has missed the mark. And I thank you that you cleanse us because of the blood of the Lamb, from all of our sin. And Lord, we want to be fully identified as your people. Identified not only in how we work, but also that we can rest and do rest in you. So Lord, I pray that we would take these passages that we've looked at, and you, by your Holy Spirit, would bring about and develop convictions in our life that rest is indeed as important as work. 
and that we honor you and glorify you not only in our much activity, but also in our ability to rest in you.